Fitness is your ability to cope with and recover from stress. And the best way to level up both your mental and your physical fitness is by making small but powerful changes to your daily habits and routines. With this podcast, I aim to bring you a combination of short educational solo casts and slightly longer conversations I've had with a wide variety of fascinating people. The goal? To help you develop a lifestyle which supports your mental and physical fitness and improves your overall quality of life. My name is Jay Unwin. Welcome to FitBody FitMind. Thank you for joining us once again on Fit Body Fit Mind, and I have got an amazing guest with me today, super inspiring, and someone who I've had uh, in my friendship circle for a little while now. And this is Shakar Wilson. She is a divisional British, European, and world record holding ex powerlifter turned mum. She's a health and wellbeing coach as well, with a passion for supporting mental health alongside physical health, which, as you all know by now, is something I am massively passionate about myself. Uh, and she's also specialising in pre and postnatal exercise health as well as becoming a mum and understanding the struggles and hurdles has made her want to help others through that as well. Shaka, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. I'm absolutely buzzing for this conversation because <laughs> I know that you have so many awesome insights around health and fitness. Um, what I'd really love for everyone to kind of get a handle on first is how did you first get into health and fitness? So from a really young age, I've always been involved in sports clubs at school um, my dad used to be quite heavily involved with our local athletics club so I used to go there a lot um, and naturally that kind of like sparked an interest in like physical activity for me yeah. um, and throughout school that massively continued I did like was captain of like the netball team the rounders team in school um, and then I started going to the gym as soon as I was like able to and old enough because um, my dad used to go so I used to kind of just like follow him along yeah. um, and then yeah just that was kind of where the like initial interest sparked for me um, I think just seeing parents and friends do it um, and just being involved from a young age it just like followed on for me I think that that's there's a lot to be said for that because when you grow up around anything it becomes what you just consider normal. You don't really know yeah. that there is an alternative. You don't really, you don't really see that side of things, and uh, it's something which can be. I mean, I imagine, and we'll get onto this in a in a little while. But in terms of your own parenting, you know how much that helped guide you into the the kind of lifestyle where you where you are active and you are yeah. um, keeping yourself fit and healthy. Uh, you know how much that your upbringing affected that, and I imagine that that's something that you try and include in your in your parenting as well. You say that when uh, you say that when you were old enough and you kind of got into the gym um, as early as you could. How old were you when you started like going into the gym, not just doing the sports? I think I was about I think I was about thirteen because it was quite a small like family owned gym. Yep. Um, and because I was with my dad and everything, they let me go in like. A little bit early sure but they were making sure i was being safe and things like that um because most gyms yeah, won't let you go in that early would they no no but i think because they'd known my dad for years and it was little things like going on the treadmill or going on yeah, the yeah. exercise bike um rather than going in and throwing heavy weights around straight away <laughs> yeah although it didn't take you long did it 
No. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing that a lot of people worry about is you hear these you hear these kind of misconceptions about how uh, heavy weight training when you're young is is bad for you. Is that something which you've had you, you know you had said to you back then or anything like that? Um people definitely said oh well make sure you don't stunt your growth and yeah, you know, yeah. your growth plates and things but there's it's one of those like myths that get you know it's almost like chinese whispers it starts off in one area and it works its way down and becomes this like massive thing um but i think a lot of that has got to do with um starting from like a really young age when you're in like prime growth so like when you're like a toddler yeah and upwards you know that's like so much younger um but yeah it's definitely something that was mentioned but i think it was quite a supportive nice gym but it was more from external sources that don't understand yeah yeah i think that as well people have this idea and like you said it's uh it is a misunderstanding of it really because often if you look at the risk of fracturing growth plates for example and for those people who are who are listening who aren't sure like growth plates are areas of your bones which are where most of the bone growth is 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 happening during that period of uh period of growing as you go through childhood and teenage years and stuff so the growth plates are massively important part uh in your bones and the the worry about fracturing those and then stunting that growth um i can understand the concern but if you look at the risk of that happening it's much more at, it's much more of a of, of a risk in um impact sports such as even running or if you look at gymnastics or you look yeah. at playing football than it is with weight training because weight training tends to be uh low impact in some ways because it's smooth movements you know it's yeah. you're, you're not necessarily jumping around a lot now gymnastics you're jumping around a lot you've got high risk of fracturing your growth plates and yet that's something which most adults are happy to see children do so yeah. I think it's just that that maybe a, a lack of awareness around those those risk things, and they're yeah. just kind of saying the things that they perhaps have heard from other sources, right? Definitely, I think the myths that you hear in the fitness industry often come from um, a lack of education around the specifics to do with it. Yep. So, like you say, around growth plates and things, you know, it is the impact rather than load yes. that will make the the difference. Yeah. Yeah, and if if a if a child or teenager has found a a real affinity for something like weight training, and that's something which where perhaps I mean you did lots of lift, lots of different uh, kinds of sports as you went through childhood and teenage years, as you mentioned. But for someone who perhaps hasn't had that, and then they find oh, actually, I really enjoy this, yeah. it would be perhaps foolish to tell them not to do it if it's that one thing in terms of physical activity that they enjoy because as we know if you enjoy it you're more likely to stay active right if you're trying to do something you don't enjoy you're, you're going to fail miserably yeah i think enjoyment is such a huge huge part and especially for young people there's such a heavy dropout um rate they, they talk about the sort of post-education gap especially amongst young females um in terms of giving up because you come out of school and you're not doing PE anymore, but they don't have another sort of physical activity outlet. Um, but if that is one thing that they really like and they really want to focus on, then, you know, for mental health and for your general well-being, it's worth it. But as long as you've got somebody who can program properly and you're doing it and being aware of, you know, the, you know, the impact of 
training um, if you have a good program and you have a coach who understands you know if you're going through a growth spurt and you're aching and you're tired to just bring it back down and just yeah. do low you know lighter weights lower reps and just maybe do a bit of just keeping moving um but yeah i think that that could be said for any kind of sport or any coach yeah. who is working with uh younger people if they're teaching um, a, a team sport, they're coaching a team sport like football or rugby or hockey or basketball or an individual sport like tennis or gymnastics or whatever, it's it's vital that they understand that stuff anyway. So it's almost like approaching uh, weight training, strength training um, or, or things in that arena in the same way. Uh, so if a coach who is knowledgeable about that particular style of training but is also knowledgeable about the population they're working with right because it's it's the same with any population if you're working with elderly people you need to know about their particular needs if you're working with new mums like it's something that you're passionate about you need to understand that particular population not just the training itself you need to be able to bring the two together right exactly there are so many specifics for different populations that you work with um i mean throughout my degree we looked a lot at um it was so health phys health and physical activity but we looked at it like you say amongst the elderly amongst people who have got um non-communicable diseases who have got um conditions back pain um a little bit of all of the sort of what we you you kind of like lump it into special populations so people who have specific needs um and if you're not aware of that, there can be so much damage that's done. Because like you say, you have to be aware of what people can and can't do and know when to um, sort of rein it in a little bit um, and taper the training down. Or in the other sense, if they're doing really well and they, you know, you feel as though they're in a position to push it on a little bit more. Um, it's just being aware of the margins and what, um, you know, what's acceptable. It's a bit like when you're training yourself as well, isn't it? Is you need to kind of stay in tune with, with yeah. where you're at and how you're feeling and take those those yeah. things into consideration when you're training. Because if you've got a training program and you want to kind of stick to it uh, 100% and then you get a week where you've got the flu and people are loathed to have a week off or to uh, or yeah. to recover and they try and push through it and with viral infections and stuff like that it can it can you know make it 10 times worse by by overexerting yourself but it's allowing yourself a bit of flexibility within that like it's good yeah. to have a program with some form some structure but it doesn't have to be rigid right no and i think there like you say people put so much pressure on themselves if something's written down on paper that you've got a hit yeah. i don't know a certain amount of weight one week it's really really difficult to like come away from that and people yeah. feel like they just have to do it but like you kind of touched on you know sometimes if you push yourself too much you end up doing more damage than than good i remember i when i was in college and i was kind of in like prime competition like um time yeah doing lots of different competitions but i also had my education to focus on um trying to get all my qualifications i put so much pressure on myself to make sure that everything was on point you know yeah. training was on point coursework was on point still trying to have a social life at that age as oh, well yeah, you know yeah. it's a difficult time um 
but I put way too much pressure on myself and I ended up with glandular fever because I had recurring like sort of throat and chest viruses but because I didn't take a break and I didn't like you know program down a little bit you know it's easy to get carried away and to make yourself poorly so it's really really important to listen to your body if your body's telling you it needs a little bit of a break then it's probably right yeah yeah it's the body is pretty smart really we've got all these feedback uh, systems to tell us when things aren't working right and uh and yeah we've got to we've got to learn to listen to them a little bit when you're younger i guess that we we tend to listen a bit less maybe we uh, when we're when we're babies when we're infants we're very tuned into our internal needs right i mean how old's your little one he is nine and a half months old now nine and a half months old and what's his name rory rory so when rory feels a certain way he knows about it right oh definitely (laughs) and he makes sure you know about it as well yes he does and so we have these we have these systems in our body these 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 sensory uh, kind of systems and we we we're able to sense our external environment and our internal environment and respond accordingly. So yeah. uh, so Rory, for example, will will feel a certain way and he'll know I feel hungry or I feel cold or I feel tired or I feel whatever it is and he'll be like right I need to do x in order to get the the, the desired response yeah. not either to get fed or uh, to get put down for a nap or to get changed or whatever it happens to be and then as we go through childhood and our teenage years we perhaps lose that a little bit because we're so distracted by what's going on externally and we have these external cues but we forget about these internal cues of how we're actually feeling and so it can be hugely beneficial i think sometimes as as adults maybe we if we consciously try and get back in touch with that stuff then we can but most people go through life not doing that um and it helps to have someone on the outside maybe to guide us in that way before we're in that place ourselves right and that's another place that that another position that the coach takes in the whole journey isn't it because sometimes the coach can see things more objectively than you can yeah Yeah, i think i had it a few times where you know you'd go in ready to train and you perhaps don't look yourself or you're a bit tired and your coach would be like you okay yeah yeah i'm fine yeah yeah are you sure (laughs) Mm. and they kind of get you to like sit and think about it for a minute actually no today you know this hurts or that feels a bit tired okay well let's adjust what we were going to do but like you say i think sometimes people can see before you realize how you actually feel well we're always harder on ourselves than other people are and we almost see tiredness and fatigue and pain as a as a sign of weakness because it's some sometimes something that we've we've had conditioned into us uh, and so we stick our heads in the sand. Even if it's completely unconscious, we kind of ignore it and we go, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, because you you don't want to admit that there's, there's something that's not right, yeah. that you're unwell. People hate admitting they're unwell. I'm the same. Yeah. I've got better. I've got better at it. But I, <laughs> I, for a long time, I and, and still now to a, to a lesser degree, find it really hard to admit that I have clear limitations. Yeah. And it's not, it's not always oh you know your only limits are in your mind yeah great they're not though are they <laughs> sometimes you actually genuinely have physical limitations exactly and you, yeah i mean it's like if you if if we go back to your kind of powerlifting training again and if you 
if you believed that your only limitation was in your brain and you thought like in your mind and it was psychological it's only psychological the reason i can't go and deadlift 200 kilos it's psychological it's not physical what a load of rubbish right (laughs) it's a physical limitation there yeah people used to say um like you know i used to be quite visual in my motivation so before lifts i'd kind of like sit and get myself nice and psyched up and yeah um but try and visualize myself lifting yes the weight and people are like well if you can visualize a lift you've just done then why can't you visualize a heavier weight and i'm like well because my training isn't at that level yet yeah, you, know, yeah. you you it's all good and well saying it you know when i was in a competition and it was a weight going for like a pb visualizing that that's like a kilogram or two heavier than what you've done is different than visualizing a lift that's like 20 kilos yeah yeah heavier yeah. than what you've done you know there's I agree that there, it's important to use your mind to help you. Yes. But your body has to be, you know, caught. They have to be balanced. Yeah. To for it to make a like a good difference. Yeah, it's it's not one or the other, right? They they they, the 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 mindset side of it, the visualization side of it, was allowing you to tap into what was there, to yeah. tap into the capacity which you physically yeah. had, and. Our, our mind is sometimes very limiting in the sense where we almost talk ourselves out of doing things we are capable of doing. So, like, absolutely, I agree that, that a lot of people maybe have uh, less self-belief than they have real yeah. skill or talent or capacity to do something. Um, but it's important to know that you've got to temper that with, with realism at the same time. And it's yeah. about that incremental. I mean, when you're training in powerlifting, you, you go for incremental improvements. You don't go for huge leaps in weight, do you? Yeah. You, go for, you go for small improvements over a number of weeks, months, and even years yeah. in order to attain a goal. You don't, yeah. you don't kind of try and do it in 90 days, right? No, exactly. Um, a lot of the time for powerlifting, like you say, you can work in like four week cycles, 12 week cycles, whatever it is. But each week is such a small increment to improve. Yeah. But with powerlifting, the competitions are so far apart. Usually it gives you a good amount of time to program. So by the time that that training um, block is finished, you have made a, a vast improvement, but not as much as people would think. So for powerlifting going from, I don't know, say one competition you squat i don't know 130 and then you have another competition say six months later it's perfectly okay to only have gained a handful of kilograms on that lift because strength takes time to build and it's important to i think i i was really bad for it sometimes i'd get upset if i didn't get a pb or i didn't get you know a lift that was like a lot heavier than what i'd done before um so you can it's easy to get in your own head about it and get like you know you start not believing in yourself as much but yeah. with with a sport like powerlifting i think it's important to recognize that the changes will come but the progress is you know a bit slower but it's progress i think we could learn a lot from that in life in general because i think people are very quick to uh, get frustrated with with lack of yeah. progress. Whether it's in a, in a fitness capacity, and you're looking at um, and you're looking at performance, like your fitness or your strength or uh, your muscular endurance or anything like that, um, or whether it's skills related. For example, if people are doing something, uh, playing a sport, uh, and there's certain skills which they're 
taking a long time to grasp or you're doing something like yoga and there's certain things which just seem out of your reach for a really long period of time or even in life in general in business in uh you know your financial situation in relationships people think that that there should be a quicker Mm -hmm. Uh, outcome right and I think it's partly because we've been conditioned through everything else becoming faster in our environments you know but our bodies have not caught up to this kind of Amazon Prime era of (laughs) you order it and it's on your doorstep the next day right you can't our body is physiologically the same as it's been for tens of thousands of years and we've got to we've got to work with that yeah there are also some I think social media's got a lot to answer for as well with like false advertising and these fancy products that come out that you can lose so so much weight in seven days or two weeks but I think seeing a lot of that and the social media um like it's not realistic a lot of the time a lot of people only show you the good stuff yeah and it's easy to lie on social media um whereas for my clients I say you know this is about lifestyle change it will take time. It's yeah. not going to be a quick fix, but it's worth it. And it's about realizing little gains or improvements that you're making every week. Instead of, you know, I find sometimes goal setting for six months down the line is brilliant, but you need to set little goals along the way that can be achieved yeah. to keep the motivation high. Yeah. But it is such a shame that the sort of the ethos around quick fixes and. Yes seems to be what a lot of people think is achievable or is achievable but not sustainable yeah and the thing is as well a lot of the people who are a lot of the images uh, that are used in in advertising for things like that are people who've been working on their physique for years yeah. if not decades and uh, it's not they they haven't got those results in seven days or two weeks or three weeks but and, and nowhere in the advert have they said that they have but it's just implied because that's the imagery that they're using yeah and it's the same again in business i come across this so much where um people are looking for a piece of software or a certain business methodology or a marketing system or funnel which will get them the most clients the fastest and all of this kind of stuff and it's just like the people who've got success in business they didn't get it through having that right bit of software or that right no. that right hack they did it and i i, I wrote a post uh on instagram i think it was a couple of weeks ago about hacks and about the word hack just conjures up so many negative images for me and people are looking for life hacks and fitness hacks and business hacks and it's just like it's it's the fundamentals repeated and sustained over a long period of time and it's not it's not sexy it's not easy to sell but like you said it's what you're trying to get your clients to do is is just accept that actually you know what this is it's a process it's not something you're going to have overnight it's a journey isn't it and yeah. i think if people really do want the results that they say they do it could be you know the way you look it could be your mindset um yeah. you know that isn't going to change overnight and it takes time and repetition and hard work but i think finding ways to feel positive about the small improvements that you are getting along the way is so much more beneficial because the results will last and you're going to be making those lifestyle changes that change a habit for a lifetime instead of for a short period of time and then it's easier to fall back into those um you know if you make these these changes 
and they last and they're, you know, they're sustained changes, you'll feel great for forever. Yeah. Yeah. And the, with that in mind, I think that once people understand the difference between something that where you get an external motivator, like, or an external reward, which even though it's your body, kind of physical changes are kind of an external reward, even though it's, even though yeah. it's you. Uh, and if that's the only thing that's keeping you going, if that's the thing you rely on, eventually that is going to run out. And the kind of going to the gym or whatever kind of activity you're doing and whatever kind of way of eating you're you're trying to maintain, if the only reason you're doing it is because there's an external reward at some point in the end, it can become such a chore. Whereas there's also a huge internal reward yeah uh, if you tap into that right like people feel good after being active and if if you focus on that then it's an immediate reward and that you're playing into the system where you know that humans are after short-term rewards like we cannot change that that is an evolutionary thing right we want short-term rewards and uh, we want a dopamine hit and a serotonin hit and all of these neurotransmitters and so if we accept that we can't change that so rather than focusing on the long-term goal of you know like you said you have a goal for six months down the line but in the meantime focus on how bloody good you feel after doing a workout yeah exactly i think um i set up like a little um like lockdown wellness group for a few friends and things because i know that a lot of my friends have struggled with not having anything positive to focus on and I said to them, you know, after the four weeks, where do you want to be? And a lot of people said, you know, trying to keep that positive mindset, but feel good. Yeah. So I'm ex- at the point of exploring with them what it is that makes them feel good. Like you say, you know, if someone goes to the gym and you've got all those hormones flowing around your body, you feel great. Yeah. And it's focusing on the things that make us feel good. And that 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 can happen daily or every couple of days if you yeah. go to the gym. But that'll keep people feeling great. and it, But it's trying to, like I say, tune in to that for somebody instead of focusing on the way they look. Yeah. For me, I always ask people, you know, how do you want to feel? Yeah. Do you want to... F- and I've had people say, you know, I want to feel lighter. I want to feel fitter. I want to feel like I can, like, run for a few miles rather yeah. than focusing on what weight do you want to be? Yeah. Like six months time but focusing on the feeling that you have and that not necessarily just to do with fitness but how do you want to feel in yourself do you want to you know i think feeling positive and just feeling good like you say is such a big thing for people and that's one of those like instant little rewards that you can get i think as well with with feeling good one of the one of the things i've learned because uh, as you know, I'm quite interested in the kind of the, the the same stuff that you're talking about in terms of how you feel and your emotional well-being and yeah. your cognitive well-being and all of these kind of the mental side of things as well as the the physical side of things. And I find it uh, I find it quite interesting to pick apart, yeah, what people what people consider feeling good uh, because or, or feeling happy or feeling content because they're they're, they're terms which are limited in, ter- in in their language, right? We're using a very limited language. We're using our words to try and describe something which is so yeah. much more deep than than our words can possibly explain. And and the word happiness means different things to different people. The word yeah. joy, contentment, anger, sadness, whatever, they mean different things to different people. But one thing that 
I've really kind of settled more into over the past couple of years is the idea that feeling good or, or what, what most people mean when they say they want to feel good or feel better um, is not that they want to feel happy or joyful all the time. It's that they want to feel that they can cope with yeah. the inevitable crap that they've got to deal with, right? Because we've all got yeah. those th- those things which happen. Yeah. We're not going to feel happy all the time, but we want to feel like when we do feel sad or angry that we can cope better with that. Is yeah. that something that you think that like that, that training in some form or another can help with? Definitely. I think a lot of people, I think it's like the forgotten area of healthy living okay. and having a healthy balanced lifestyle. I think sometimes people think, like having a healthy lifestyle is being fit or going to the gym yep. and getting your nutrition sorted. Yep. But not a lot of people tap into the how do you actually feel? Yeah. You know, what do you want you know, what do you want to feel? But I think it's so important, because um, when your mindset's good, I think naturally you're in a better place to focus on goal setting. Yeah. And things like that. I think it can make a massive difference to it kind of like follows on for so many other aspects. Yeah, I mean, I've, I, I've, I saw something the other day which explained that the people that you know that are physically fittest are also the mentally fittest, and I thought mm, I'm not entirely sure I'd agree with that because no, I've I met know a lot so of many yeah, people. Come, sorry, yeah, who've yeah. got um, so like I think mental health, especially like the bodybuilding industry, so people who you deem to be like the like peak physical like condition yeah where, but a lot of the time they're the most self-conscious and they've yeah, got a lot yeah. of anxieties and depression because there's so much it's almost like too much pressure yeah yeah but i think with like elite sport and elite athletes there's so much pressure to be a certain way um that it can be you know they're not necessarily happy no and i think that there's 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 less space for that because so much of their their energy and their focus and their time is spent on like what you said the obvious stuff the training and um they they have a better i I think it depends on the level you're at as well because if you're if you're competing at an elite level like you have i imagine that the like because i've never competed in anything at an elite level so i'm completely making this up right but please do pull me up if i'm talking absolute bullshit right but I imagine that the higher that you go, the more of a focus there is on a bit more of a holistic approach. Because I found that people who are competing in anything at a lower level, a regional, a regional level, right? For example, um, they get certain things in line, but then perhaps not other things. So they might have their training and their nutrition sorted, but their rest and recovery is absolute rubbish. They, they're yeah. not they're not sleeping well. They're not looking after themselves from that perspective. Um, they certainly aren't looking after themselves emotionally. And then as you get up a high, uh, a bit higher, the sleep starts playing more of a more of a part because the coaches are switched on enough to go. Look, you need to be resting and recovering better. Yeah. When you get up to kind of an elite level, when you're competing on on the world stage. Uh, and and the coaching is on that level also is there more of a focus around a kind of emotional well-being as well because surely that affects performance right yeah so i had a bit of a mixed experience with because i've had like a couple of different coaches yeah um 
at one coach who is really focused on rest and ensuring that your time was utilized for training and rest and recovery yeah so there wasn't much space for anything else yeah which was good because you're focused but at the same time you didn't really have anything to kind of like have any downtime yes. because when you were resting you were resting or focusing on the next session but in the same breath i've had a coach who didn't focus so much on that stuff but was really heavily pressurizing like getting my weight down for a competition right but most of the time coaches i have found do try to make sure that that you feel okay that you feel like not too anxious going into competitions um make sure that you're resting because like we were saying earlier you know with a program not just when you're younger but if you come in and you've had like a really intense week of training and the next session you come in and it just feels a bit too much we would take that down a level and just do like a bit of a deload i think it's about the coach's understanding of when to say okay let's just like rest a second yeah and like take a breath um i think with powerlifting because powerlifting isn't like an olympic sport there's not the funding there for massive coaching packages um but i found for me anyway that with competing at a high level because people know who you are people know what you can do right so there's like you almost feel there's like an expectation to be a certain way. Okay. So you're like putting pressure on yourself to make sure that you hit certain numbers or pull out a really good performance. Um, so if you go into a competition, I I always found that I was like focusing on that. I was like, oh, well, I've got to make sure that I do this, that and the other because otherwise people are going to think, what's happened to her? Yeah. Um, which is like hard to deal with because but I think I put a lot of pressure on myself. I and I do that in all walks of like life. It's not just been like training, but I think having a coach there who can just, you know, on competition day, be there with you and just get your mind focused yeah, to take you away from any like anxiety that you're thinking about. I mean, we all, massive, we all, massive difference. We all compare ourselves quite yeah. strongly to other people, don't we? Um, I, th- I think, as well it'd be good to because we obviously we we talked earlier about how you kind of started setting foot in the gym when you were 13 and um and that's when that kind of interest uh interest arose on top of the other sporting stuff how long was it before you tried your hand at at powerlifting uh in in itself um i don't know it wasn't that long um because i think i first competed when i was 14 when you can compete in um powerlifting yeah but i remember that's probably a lot younger than people imagine yeah yeah it is i think a lot of people think that it's something you start in like your later teens yeah um but yeah i was in the gym one evening and just sort of got talking to um the lady who used to do the sports massage there and a couple of the guys who were training um and they said oh you look really strong because i started doing a little bit of like weight training with one of the guys who worked there um like just for my strength and conditioning for athletics yeah they said oh you'd be really good at powerlifting because they used to come in as a group three evenings a week and train yeah they said come and give it a go so i think it was deadlifts was the first lift that i tried and i remember it so clearly um 
I think I deadlifted a hundred kilos on my first like attempt. What, like at the but, age of fourteen? Or, uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, and yeah, they got me to go over and just give it a go because they were like, "You look really strong. Come and try it." Yeah. And they all—they it was just a nice atmosphere. Everybody was really friendly and chatting, and it was lovely. So I went over and started like doing a few little lifts and warm ups with them and. My dad said he was in the cardio room on the bike and he was like, yeah. I could hear all this shouting and it was your name. And I was like, why are they shouting? Is everything okay? So he comes in and you're just there dead of 100 kilos like it was nothing. A <laughs> <laughs> oh, proud moment for him, I can imagine, with him being so into kind of the, the sports and the fitness And then stuff, he was I like, I need to pull my finger out now because you can lift more than me and she's 14. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's always been a big cheerleader of yours, hasn't he? Yeah, definitely. He loves coming. He loves the gym. He loves like sport and anything like that so I think that's where it kind of like stemmed from so but yeah he loves it how long were you competing for then so like you, you started getting your hand in um at, at quite an early age uh when did you when did you do your first competition um and when did you do your last competition so my first competition I think it was the December um what would it have been 2010 when I was 14 okay and then my last competition was in 2017. Yeah. In November 2017. So okay. it's been a little while. Yeah. Um, but I had a lot on with like my third year of uni um, and then transitioning into like full-time career after education and then Rory came along. So yeah, yeah. yeah. it's not been the ideal time to get back into it. But yeah, I had a little break Um between about, I'd say probably 2015, 2016, because I had to have my gallbladder removed. Okay. So I was just really poorly, so I couldn't train. Yeah. Um, and my my like mental health wasn't in the right place to get back into it. So had a little bit of a break in those few years, but probably had like a good like seven, maybe pushing eight years of like competing solidly. That's cool. Yeah, so with with that, I mean, taking breaks when you need to, right? It's part all part of the journey, yeah. and it's it, rather than trying to go back too early and all the rest of it. Is it something that you're going to go back to? I keep thinking about it. I think when the gyms open properly, um, I'll think about it because I've been doing some training when gyms were open, um, and got myself a like new powerlifting belt and things to try and like just to be able to give it a go because I still yeah. like lifting heavy that'll never I don't think that'll ever go away um but I, I think I would like to commit just to see how I feel about it because it's been so long yeah I might yeah. try it and be like oh no I don't want to deal with all the pressure again yeah or I could try it and you know fall back in love with it so well your priorities have changed haven't they so like where, yeah. where you're at now your motivation for doing things is is different, right? So your motivation for yeah. lifting heavy and training and stuff like that is different now to perhaps what it was five yeah. years ago, for example, or, or ten years ago. Yeah. Um, and and that's obviously got to play a part. And there's no point in trying to go backwards, is there? Because that's no. that's, that's not what life is about after all. Um, no. Obviously, you're kind of in a position now where um, you're you're coaching. You're getting you're getting back into the kind of coaching game um, and helping other people with their yeah. health and fitness at the same time as obviously juggling that with with being a relatively new mum as well. How's that all going? It's um, been a bit of a crazy year, so um, I'm enjoying getting back into looking into coaching it's only been the past couple of weeks that i've started it back up yeah um 
but yeah I love being a mum it's great it's so it's just lovely it's not been the year we thought it was going to be no um, but it's been nice to have you know time to adjust to life as a new mum and yeah plenty of time at home yeah definitely <laughs> he's um he's good as gold though so he's making it relatively easy <laughs> How do you how do you find fitness with uh, in terms of your fin- philosophy around health and fitness yeah. and well being and all the rest of it? Um, in terms of staying fit and healthy as a mum, mm-hmm. because this is obviously a particular area that you're interested in. Um, what, do you think that that's a particularly important aspect of parenting, like keeping yourself fit and well? I think for me. I would say yes, because like we've been talking about, you know, physical health links to mental health meant that, you know, it becomes a bit of a cycle. So for me, the days where sometimes I'll just, you know, I make it work around the family. And that's what I say to any mums that I've worked with, you know, make it work around your family life. If all you can do one day is go out for a walk with the pram and get like, you know, your steps in then you're still up, you're still active, you're still getting out in the fresh air, you're still doing some form of physical activity and pushing a pram uphill is hard work. So it's almost like a bit of like a a workout, but in a different sense. Yeah. And, you know, making it work around family life for me has become the new priority. Yes. Um, But I think it is important to try and keep your... Because it's time for yourself as well. Yeah. Um, I couldn't really get much time for me over the early months because like my partner's working and things like that and he's busy. So by the time he comes home, you're knackered after a day with the newborn. So trying to do little home workouts was like where it was at. Whereas when I could go to the gym um, for the last like couple of months, it was the headspace I needed as well to get out of the house um, and to not be looking at, sterilizing bottles every five yeah. minutes and like um preparing some like baby foods and purees and things it was nice to just get out of the home environment and it was a bit of a like savior in terms of like m- feeling overwhelmed about being indoors a lot and i think sometimes as a new mum especially on your maternity leave because you're not at work you're not really you know you can go out to baby groups and stuff but you need time on your own as well yeah you know before you had a baby, what did you used to do? Like, what things did you go and do, like, on your own? Did you pop into town for a weekend and get a few bits done? Did you go to the gym? Did you go to a class, go swimming? And I think, as a mum, it's easy to feel the the pressure of always having, like, the baby. Yeah. But, you know, having that little bit of time, even if it's just an hour of an evening or of an afternoon or a morning, you know, going out and having some you time, for me, it's been like massively beneficial, but I know a few other people have said that they felt like a whole different person when they could go and have their own little bit of headspace and time to be active. Absolutely. And it's that combination, again, of, of physical well-being and emotional well-being yeah. being tied together, uh, you know, inextricably, really. You can't separate yeah. the two in a lot of ways. And having that space is... Yeah, I, I talk about self-care a lot and a lot of people think about self-care as being fairly big acts that you do when you're feeling particularly stressed and you go right I need some self-care and you go and go to the spa for the weekend that'd be nice if they're open wouldn't it um but self-care is daily habits and routines isn't it really it's it's looking yeah. after yourself in a way which prevents or at least 
reduces the stress as it builds up rather yeah. than trying to fix it after it's happened right yeah i was gonna say um like you've just said you know doing a little bit of something every day stops the need for having well it can help towards the need of having these big breaks all the time yeah whereas if you do a little bit like say every day you almost you're kind of keeping yourself in that good space yeah instead yeah. of getting to almost get into crisis point and thinking right i need time out whereas if you have it like you know every day or every few days doing something that you enjoy will just keep you know your head feeling a bit fresher yeah it's like you're keeping your battery topped up or your fuel tank topped up rather than waiting for it to end up in the red and having a breakdown right whether that's in your car or in your life um but that's that's the thing you don't let your car get down to empty you don't let your people don't let their phone battery get down to empty and they get it gets to a certain percentage and everyone gets really jittery like where's the charger yeah but we need to do that with ourselves too right and some people think that that's just down to rest and recovery but it's not because um physical activity is like rest and recovery from mental stress right we can release that mental stress through putting our body under a bit of physical stress yeah definitely um i think people sometimes forget to look after number one yeah and they'll juggle all these plates housework work i don't know there's so much that people think about but it's not until they get to the point of feeling completely overwhelmed that they're like oh i've not actually done anything for myself for ages i've not done anything to make myself feel better and now i'm at this point where you know you need a massive like break and a big big load of self-care whereas you know keeping the plates spinning but balancing everything out like you say like the phone battery is such a good example especially nowadays you know people's phone battery gets to you know 20 percent, and they're like oh no i'll tell you what that's i I think you're being i think you're being kind to people there i reckon as soon as it dips below 60 most people are getting jittery i was gonna say 50 i was like oh no i better lower it yeah no it's true though isn't it like well you could because you're like i get jittery at 50 percent, but i'm not going to admit that on this podcast no i reckon most people they like they like it they only feel truly comfortable when that phone battery percentage is 80 or above between 60 and 80 they're aware that it's getting low below 60 they're starting to get jittery if it's down at 20 people are having meltdowns right (laughs) but they only feel really truly happy when it's 80 or above and if we approach the same thing with our own battery where if it's 80 or above we're good if it dips below 80 might give it a little juice up a little bit give ourselves a bit of self-care if it's down below 60 we need to seriously charge us recharge ourselves yeah Yeah, because otherwise like you say you get down to that 20 percent virgin on crisis like yeah breaking point yeah and you know sometimes it can be too late and the damage is more lasting than it would be if you know you just kept it yeah topped up i've been there a number of times and i've learned the lesson the hard way um and each time i learn it in a slightly different way but i've burned out i've completely burned out more than once in life and the last time was a few years ago and and I've kind of I, I had to take stock and go right. I, I need to I need to do something differently. When I burned yeah. out first, I was looking externally for kind of answers and and fixes for it. After the one three years ago, it was more I went internally and was like, right, what's what am I doing here? Which is which is affecting my ability to cope with life. And I think that we we all need to take stock of that. And again, it's it's Definitely. that thing about taking stock of how we feel. Like we talked about right at the start, yeah. it's about 
being in tune with these these signs and these warning lights that are flicking on on our dashboard we can't just ignore them um, someone said to um to me the other day because i was having a little bit of a period of time of feeling like just completely overwhelmed and struggling to like yeah. get a handle on my thoughts so i'm quite an overthinker so if i get something in my head my brain runs away with it and sure. starts thinking loads of other things yeah and he said what's in between your thoughts and i was like right. okay i don't know it's like just think about it for a minute and it just slows you down and sometimes if i find i'm getting to the point where i'm like getting a bit stressed or overthinking or i feel like i need to just kind of like bring myself down a minute to relax to bring that battery back up yeah i'll just think okay what is in that space and naturally you just kind of like it's nothing so you kind of just start thinking focusing on that instead of the stress yeah yeah i like that i'm in fact i'm going to write that down i'm going <laughs> to write down write write that note down i'm going to write down right now what was it it was what is in between is, your thoughts yeah what's in between your thoughts i'm writing that down and i just but, found it i was just sat there i was like do you know i've never ever thought of that before no and, and it it's sometimes those... the simple things isn't it that yeah. just kind of make you go oh light bulb moment definitely so we're going to wrap up in a sec but before we do i would love to get your thoughts on uh if, some, if there's someone listening to this and let's talk about your particular interest in terms of new mums and stuff like yeah. that right so let's talk about if there's a new mum listening to this and i'm sure that this will work across the board anyway because this this stuff is universal but if there's a new mum listening and they're feeling overwhelmed and they're feeling like uh, they don't really know where to start and they know they want to feel better and you know we've discussed what feeling better and feeling good means but yeah. they don't really know what to action to take do you have uh, like one or two kind of little starting points that perhaps they could act on today or or in the next couple of days which will help them get on a path which will lead to them feeling better? What would you what would your advice be? So I'm quite an advocate for the like speaking out sort of campaign and approach. You know, speaking to someone can sometimes help you unravel your thoughts or if you haven't got somebody you can speak to, writing things down but also write down what do you enjoy? What are things that make you feel enjoyment? So I don't know if you like, do you like baking? Okay, if you like baking, you know, yeah. do something that makes you feel good. Um, and also sometimes I find just getting out in the fresh air. Oh yeah, definitely. Just going for a walk and just having that time, like either with the pram or on your own, you know, just can sometimes help clear your head a little bit and just help you sort of regain focus a little bit and i think just... those those mixtures of those couple of things that you said there like the, the the clarity from going for a little walk for example mixed yeah. with the clarity of getting your problems out either to someone else yeah. or on paper so powerful because it like puts space between you and the stuff you're feeling overwhelmed about right it becomes yeah, gives you more of an objective viewpoint yeah, like you say, sometimes when it's written down, you can see it for what it is. Yep. And you can, like, I've done it before where I've, like, written something down. I'm like, why am I, like, worrying about that? It's something so trivial. But seeing it written down takes it out of it being in you. Yeah. So when yeah. you're, like you say, you're looking at it completely objectively. And, yeah, it can just, like, help you see sense sometimes, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Or just look at things in a different way. Yeah, it gives um, you that starting point. I think it's easy to say to people, you know, oh, you can go and exercise and you can go to the, like, go and do a little home workout and things. But 
that doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. So it's completely important for people to do things that they enjoy or go yeah. for. I sometimes find if I've had like a bit of a busy day with Rory or he's been particularly unsettled, I'll go and have like a nice hot bubble bath because yeah. it's the same kind of effect. It's relaxing. It's yeah. a bit of head like time to yourself. Yeah, and the 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 key thing that you've mentioned there is it, it it's not going to be a one size fits all. And before no. you actually take action and start doing stuff, you need to reflect on where you're currently at, how you're feeling, and what things you enjoy. Because, like for example, yeah. I think mean, this came up in a conversation I had with someone the other day about self care. I hate baths, right? I hate them. I hate them. I get out more stressed than I got in. I overheat. It's horrible, right? I, but I understand that for other people, it's like yeah. it's a super relaxing thing to do, and so. If we, unless we look at what we personally enjoy, exactly, we're going to end up doing the wrong stuff. It's. I think it could be quite tempting, especially in this day and age, to Google things like, okay, what can I do to make myself feel like, yeah, like better? What are activities that you can do? Yeah, and it could give some like really good ideas. But if it's not what you really love, yeah, it's not as likely to make a difference. Yeah, and even if it did make a difference, you're not going to keep it up. Yeah it's got to be your enjoyment has to. yeah yeah absolutely and everyone is different and that's what everyone's a special snowflake and that's what makes <laughs> the world so exciting and interesting isn't it um so if if people wanted to kind of follow what you do uh see more about you and the kind of your teachings and yeah. what what you're up to where's the best place for people to find you so um instagram and um instagram and facebook is where i'm sort of more active okay what do they need um, so to search for i'll put your my, links in the description as well but what, what yeah, should they search for so on instagram it's um power mama power mama health and fitness okay. um or if you type in my name it should come up okay um and facebook it's power mama health and well-being Okay, awesome stuff. So what I'll do is I will put those. So if, if anyone's listening to this on Anchor or on Spotify, then there will be clickable links to those pages in the description. If you're listening on Apple, then they won't be clickable because for some reason that just doesn't work, right? So if you're if you're listening and the links aren't clickable, then have a look, uh, have a search on Instagram and Facebook and find Chaka's bits and pieces there. Uh, and if you if you w- need to reach out and get some advice on the stuff that we've talked about today, um, then she's a great person to do that with. Sound good? All good, thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and chatting about all this awesome stuff. It's been an absolute pleasure um, and hopefully we can do it again. That'll be lovely. Thank you for having me. No worries. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Fit Body, Fit Mind with me, Jay Unwin. If you aren't already connected with me on LinkedIn, Instagram or Facebook, then you can find all the links in the podcast description or on my website at fitbodyfitmind.online. Until next time, stay fit, stay well and have fun.